You hear my chimes? I do hear your chimes. Mm-hmm. Don't tell Dad, but we're going to be getting uh, him some chimes for Father's Day. Oh, he loves them. He, he asked for chimes. Oh, he did. Huh. Mm-hmm. Do you remember celebrating Father's Day when I was growing up? Uh, when you were growing up, we, we always did it with Dad and then with your daddy and then my daddy I would start celebrating that with him but when I was a kid I didn't celebrate it because he was gone for about 10 years and I remember the teacher used to make us write a letter to our father and I said where what if you don't know where your daddy is and she said well write it to him anyway and so I would write but it was always very bittersweet and sad for me she's one of a kind a character a little bit crazy. During these turbulent times, I find a little bit of my mother's folksy wisdom to be really comforting. Welcome to OK Boomer. Wisdom from a boomer to a millennial. But I looked around those other kids, they were having trouble riding too, so not everybody had their daddies. For anyone listening who's unfamiliar with the story, my mom's dad left when she was five years old. He said he was going to get a pound of coffee. He didn't come back for 17 years. In California. I think it bothered me more in California because uh, I know he was around there working sometimes. And uh, I, years later, I found out that he, he tried to find us many times, but every time uh, we would settle someplace, maybe, maybe go to school for just a semester, we'd move again. And after I became an adult, I find out, you know, why we moved so much. Mama didn't really want us to have any contact with him. So you think he found you those times and that's why you guys were moving schools, what, how many different times? 17, was it? 17 different schools. And sometimes we'd only be there a semester and we'd move again. Hmm. And uh, there's one thing uh, I would like to tell people, never teach somebody how to hate somebody else. And especially your children, you should always, you should love your parents, but somebody shouldn't make them hate. And I, is that and, what happened to you? Did yeah. you hate your dad for a while? I didn't hate him. I just didn't understand it. But mother did teach hate and with, with dad and I didn't think that was right. But then how, she, how did she do that? Oh, she just said, you know, you don't have a father. He left you. And, uh, if you hadn't, if I hadn't decided to, uh, uh, keep you, you would be adopted out. Ooh, yeah. And I said, because is that when a... you were when you were misbehaving? <laughs> I think so. When I would act out and be mean, or my brother would be mean. But uh, you know, you've got to be carefully taught how to be prejudiced and also be uh, ha- hatred. I guess she was so frustrated, you know, with all of her husbands that she blamed my dad for everything. And How he many was, husbands? Yeah. Uh, four. But dad was the best one of all of them. Yeah, he was. So Father's Day was a, a tough time. And Mother's Day, Valentine's Day, you know, all holidays. It depends, you know, who my mother was living with or who she married at the time. It, for alcoholics, holidays are always bad because they celebrate all the time anyway, and especially around Christmas time. That's it's a tough holidays for kids because 
when you have a bunch of people partying and uh, some of them get drunk, a lot of things happen. So as a kid, you kind of disappear or go hide someplace because you don't know if it's going to be a happy day or a bad day. What was it like going to school and not having a parent there to see the things that you did when you were growing up? Oh. I know when I was growing up, you guys were always there because you were my teachers, mm-hmm. but also <laughs> because we had, you know, if we had concerts or we had basketball games or whatever, you guys were there. And usually it was both of you or at least one of you would come. Well, uh, dad didn't come to any of my things, of course, and uh, mom didn't either. Uh, I would always ask her, I said, Mom, are you going to go to the Christmas program? Because I, I love the Christmas programs. And she said, no. She said, I don't have anything to wear, and, and I'm too fat, and, and, I, and I don't look good. And I said, Mom. So my one t- particular time, my neighbor came. They didn't know at the time, but my mom's mother was probably what we now call bipolar. I was 10 years old. I remember this. And it was, uh, we lived in our uh, Santa Ana. I was in fourth grade. And uh, we were doing uh, a Christmas program, and our part was to sing, Sleigh bells ring, oil is And the music teacher I didn't care for. The other schools, I liked my, all my music teachers, except for this one, because uh, when it came to uh, this one part, In the meadow we could build snowman. She said, now, Terry, when we sing that part, I want you to mouth the words. And I said, what? I want you to mouth the words. I said, why? Because you're singing really, really loud, and you're, you're uh, out singing all the other kids beside you, and you need to blend. Well, I didn't. I said, oh, okay. So that night, I was all dressed up, and my neighbor took me, and I had my little muff. You know, like that little muff where they used to put your hands in when you're cold. That's an old-fashioned muff. I made yeah. mine out of an oatmeal box. <laughs> 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 Covered it up, and I was so proud, and... We got to What'd the you park. cover it up with? Some kind of fur. I think I, I, I remember. I don't know where I got it. It was an old blanket or something, but I, I covered it up, painted it, and it was like a little a fur muff because those were very popular in the 50s. So uh, when it came to the part, what I was supposed to sing softly, guess who didn't sing softly? Guess who mm. belted it out? It was me. <laughs> and I've often told my students... I was a kid, they told me to mouth the words, and I said I would never tell a kid to mouth the words. I sang it loud and proud, and my neighbor, she she told Mama, you would have been proud of Terry, because she just sang out really loud. And uh, I'll never forget that, and I often thought, someday I would like to go see that music teacher and tell her I got an education, and I became a music teacher. But I, I didn't, uh, that's not nice to want to get back at somebody (laughs) (laughs) what yeah but what would you do when you had kids that like absolutely couldn't match pitch oh you never told them not to sing but you like what would you do in the case where you were teaching choir and you guys were ready for contests and you had somebody really off pitch well I would let them sing with us but I would tell everyone, not just point one kid out. I would say, now this section over here, the space section, you need to listen because you, uh, some of you, I didn't say, I wouldn't say one kid. I just, Some of you are a little bit off. I want you to really listen to the person beside you. And they, they, 
they did fine. You know, every time we went to contests, we did very well. And I had a kid once, uh, uh, we were singing, Oh, Oklahoma, where the wind comes. I'll never forget this kid. He had so much gusto. He was the best actor, but he'd sing really loud and off pitch. And I would tell all the kids, I want you to sing like this kid. And they looked at me really funny because they knew he was singing off. I said, I want you to have the gusto that he's got. So uh, when we got to, so they all sang out very loud and that kid was still off, but everybody looked at him, smiled, and he was the best actor. And he gave everybody gusto and they all I will absolutely tease mother about this later, but I think it should be all of our assignments to use the word gusto at least once in a conversation today. Sing with feeling. And uh, we became uh, friends on Facebook oh, a couple years ago, and I told him I always enjoyed him so much. He said, oh, Miss Spires, I, I could never sing. He said, but I tried my best. I said, you added so much to choir. Oh. What was it like for you in school as you started to get a little bit older and maybe more rebellious? Oh, uh, I went to Franklin Junior High School, and Pat and I were a minority, my brother, uh, because it's African-American and Hispanic kids, and we had so much fun. It was the coolest school because every Friday, the coach would teach us the newest dances. And they had two or three coaches, and they were wonderful. And that's where I learned how to do the Madison. <laughs> that's on a movie, Grease. They say, let's all do the Madison. And I learned how to do the stroll. But the, Mrs. Mack was our music teacher, and she was amazing. Uh, I loved her a lot. But the best teacher that I enjoyed was the English teacher. It was her first year teaching. And um, I was a class clown, and I would put iridescent lipstick on and turn around to the rest of the kids in class and they'd laugh and she'd call me up and she talked to me and she didn't send me to the principal but she wanted to she made me stay after school and we talked and she uh, she quoted this poem to me and I still know it today isn't it strange that princes and kings and clowns and caper and sawdust rings and common people like you and me are builders of eternity. Each is given a shapeless mass, a bag of tools, a book of rules, and each must make their lives their flowing, a stumbling block or a stepping stone. She said, Terry, I want you to memorize that. And I memorized it. And she's not, Terry, I don't want you to be a stumbling block. You have talent. I read your poetry. You can write poetry. I want you to, do you want to be a stumbling block or you want to be a stepping stone? And I looked at her and I said, I want to be a stepping stone. I want people to look up at me and do that. And I'll never forget that. It was her first year teacher teaching and she could have sent me to the principal, but she handled that that way, and one way. And then uh, I only had her for a semester because we were in Long Beach and then we moved to Wilmington to the projects at Dana Strain. And then I went to a different school. But I'll never forget her because she believed in me. And I was a mess. I really sh should have been uh, sent, sent to the principal's office. But after... What uh, do you mean you were uh, a mess? Oh, well, I was always really funny and I was making people laugh. You know, I was getting attention. And then she saw it and said, instead of really getting on to me, she just brought me up and talked to me. And, you know, she... She made me start thinking that you could be things in life. You didn't have to make people... I didn't have to be the class clown. 
I wanted to be a stepping stone. People look up to me. So I wrote her back another poem, but I don't remember what it was. It's about uh, nature and about the animals, and she loved it, and she bragged on my poetry. So I didn't know I was a poet. No, that, what did you that, used to say? Uh, I'm a poet and didn't know it. But <laughs> My grandma used to say, you're a poet, but you didn't know it, but your feet are Longfellow's. But your feet show it. They're Longfellow. Yes, that's it. Yeah. And I thought, that's, that's a, how do you remember that? Because <laughs> you used to say it, and I thought it was ridiculous, but I remembered it. Yes. Well, I... I you also yeah. used to say, here's another one you used to say, tough titty, said the kitty, but the milk's still good. No, I didn't say that, Uncle Pat. Yes, you did. I don't remember saying you, that. You repeated it. You repeated it. <laughs> My brother got me into lots of trouble. Mm-hmm. We'll meet, we'll and you meet. liked it. I think I think that was it. Is like you would tell me things that Pat said, like they're really naughty, but you loved saying them. Well, if Mama didn't find out, or Grandma, uh, when we lived in Fullerton, uh, my brother Pat taught me how to say a Spanish phrase because we lived in a town uh, in a little village where they were all Hispanics, and uh, the Nationals were uh, the immigrants that would come over and pick oranges because grandma worked in the packing factory she packed oranges and uh, he taught me how to say dami cinco centavos i didn't know what it meant so he'd stand behind the tree and he said now here comes the national now so he was walking and i went up to him and i say dami cinco centavos and he'd reach in there and he gave me five cents and i i would run over to pat and i said look he gave it to me he said do it some more here comes some more people so I did about two or three times, and then I didn't know what I was doing. So I went home, and my grandma noticed I had some money in my pocket. And she said, what, what's that? And I took out about four quarters. And I said, Dami Cinco Centavos. Pat Tommy say that. Oh, Terry, that's terrible. Do you realize what you said? I said, no. Give me five cents. That is so wrong. You were begging from those people who are very poor. They're more poor than we are. And they were giving you money because you were begging. That was why I remember I climbed the tree. And then she told me from the tree and she made me come down from the tree and talk to me. And Pat got a spanking, but I didn't. <laughs> I don't I, And I, I said I was sorry. And I, she made me give the money back when we saw those particular men come through. And I gave them the money back. And they went, you know, no, no. And I said, no. So she knew how to speak a little Spanish. So it sounds like you got a little bit into some trouble as a kid, um, partially because you had some some brothers who got you into trouble. But like as you got a little bit older, you've told me some stories where you yourself got into a little bit of trouble before you ended up moving to Missouri full time. Oh, yes. Can well, you talk about that? Yes, I can tell you I had some really good friends. I, uh, I had three friends who didn't have daddies and we were kind of a little club and uh one of them was uh pretty ornery but one time we she she said let's go to this house let's break into this house and I said I don't want to break into a house uh that's wrong she says well we'll just go in there because that girl they didn't like that girl so they wanted to break into her house and so we walked into her house and they all stole something and they said Terry take something and I said no they said, oh, quit being honest, Abe, because they said I was always too honest. 
So I took some fingernail polish. I'll never forget it. And we left. And uh, I threw the fingernail polish in the trash. And I went home and I told my mom what I did. And she said, oh, honey, you could be in lots of trouble by doing that. And I said, I'm sorry. But I was hanging around with the wrong bunch of kids. And they were starting to do, well, they'd been drinking. And I I did tell my mom I had I'd gone to a party and I had a little bit of vodka. I was about 14 then, 13 or 14. And she said, now you don't do that anymore. Vodka sneaks up on you. I don't want you to do yeah. that. <laughs> just and, have uh, a little, just have a little beer instead. <laughs> yeah. The vodka will sneak up on you. Yeah, because uh, the kids were partying, and it was a, it was wasn't a very good crowd, and uh, they were smoking a little. We were smoking I a little pot, and then we uh, did some pills, some uppers and downers, and I didn't even know what I was doing. And then it just like one night Mom, I thought you had to have known a little bit of what you were doing. Well, what I was taking was my, my was a Dexedrine and it was called diet pills. About that time, people would have their mother's diet pills, and they would uh, you'd go to medicine cabinet and you would take your mom's diet pills and give them to your friends. And I knew it was really wrong, but I did it anyway. But I it's just like a vision. <laughs> but I, I did it, was, it anyway. I did it anyway, and then I thought. My friends, and some of them were sniffing glue and doing all that. I said, uh, this is not how who I am. Uh, and they were just getting really wild. And uh, sometimes uh, I, I wouldn't go. I wouldn't go to their parties. I said, Mom, and I would, it's just like one night I, I, I was praying, and I thought, you know, I don't want to go down this road. These kids are messing around, and they're being very promiscuous. And, and I, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> I don't. And so I, I it's just like I prayed that night and I could see my life. It's just like I had a vision. And you might think this is crazy. It's like I, if I went back home to live in Missouri, I would have a better life because these kids are messing with drugs. We're skipping school. We're doing all of this. And I'm flunking out. And that's not who, that's not me. And it was just like, like God spoke to me and said, you need to go to Missouri. And that's when I went home and I said, Mom, I don't want to be with these kids. The things they're doing are not right. And I don't want to go down that road. I want to, I want to go to Missouri and, and uh, finish eighth grade. And so I did. Were you the first one in your you probably weren't the first one in your family to to finish high school. I know your mother only had, a, like, what, a fifth grade education? Third grade, uh-huh. Ooh, third grade education. Yeah. And what about your dad? Did he... Yes, he graduated from high school. Did he finish high school? school? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, he graduated from high school, and then that's when he went on uh, a truck and packed about 40, 40 guys in an old truck, and they went to Washington State work and pick fruit my mother only went to third grade but my grandma she had an eighth grade uh, education and back a hundred years ago she graduated in 1919 in June wow and uh, mom wasn't the first person in her family to graduate from high school but she was the first person in her entire family to graduate from college what was your college graduation like? Did your family um, celebrate the fact that you were the first one who no, came? No, I didn't have any celebrations. Why? Well, because mom, grandma had passed away that summer. 
mm-hmm. after I graduated from high school. And uh, I didn't have any family by me. Your mom didn't uh, come? No, mom didn't come and dad didn't come either because he was working out in Vegas. So no one came Did to Pat my graduation. Come? Did no. Michael come? Nobody? No, no one was there. And how are you not, res- like, were you resentful? Because I would certainly be resentful if nobody showed up. No, Eric's family was there, your daddy's family, and I, you know, I like them a lot. And then we planned our marriage, you know, in three months right after we graduated from college. So his family was there for me, but no one else was. And I didn't Gosh, resent Mom, it because... Why not? Well, no. I don't know. I just thought I got to do this. You know, I decided to do this walk this road. I guess I have to walk by myself. <laughs> but I wasn't by myself because I always adopted people. You know, people. Yeah, like but I'm me. surprised how you how you can. I know. I'm sorry. I'm harping on this, but it just makes me wonder if. Once again, that's another kind of story that you're telling. Where if if you took, if if you put me, or either of your sons in that same position where they were graduating they were the first one in the family mm-hmm. and nobody else in the family showed up first of all you would show up i know but second of all even if you didn't you would be upset if the other people in the family didn't show up at least some of them mm-hmm. well i don't um, know and you would support me feeling angry or resentful at least for mm-hmm. a time but it seems like either you'd didn't feel that way or maybe you pushed it to something else why do you think I, that is I, I I don't know I was I was busy with the theater you know we were doing a, a Star Spangled Girl and I had the part in Sophie Roshmeyer part and that was a the big lead and I did that and then I graduated and we were in a, an, I was involved in an opera Kansas City Lyric came down and I was chosen four of us were chosen for the chorus and I was planning my wedding. And so I didn't, uh, well, I'll have to take that back. Pat Allen's parents came. Yeah, yeah they, but not your there. family. I mean, no. I know that you had other people there, but. Um, None of my family was there. Did you, did you invite them or was it at this point like, well, they haven't shown up to so many things <laughs> already that I'm just not going to expect it anymore? Or were you, or did you cut them off ever? Or No, like, I didn't cut them off. I just didn't expect them to come. They knew my graduation when it was. Uh, it could have been maybe my great aunt Verna came, but I'm not quite sure. You know, because she used to try to come to some of my things, but uh, I don't really remember anyone coming to my graduation it was a big deal and I just thought well I've got a I've got finished out the summer stock theater and then I'm gonna do the opera and then to have my wedding now what about your wedding who showed up to that well my daddy gave me away which was great we got to be really good friends Uh, we started writing when I was in high school and uh he sent me an artist book because I wanted to be an artist at that time. You know, I went through those really? phases from poetry to artist. I did that art contest where you send in a, a sketch and they grade you and you take the course the classes. I didn't know that. <laughs> oh, I wanted to be an artist, yeah. And they sent me pastels and all that, yeah. So, uh, Dad, Dad uh, gave me away and my stepmother, uh, she... Uh, 
she was there, but I wasn't very fond of her. She tried to take the place of my mom. But my mother uh, was coming to the wedding, but she was poisoned on the plane by, uh, allegedly, by my other stepfather. So she didn't make it. (laughs) Anytime I had anything really, really big in my life, she always had something bigger. Oh. And uh, I was so upset because I was doing the opera. And I was planning my wedding, and she kept calling and said that she was poisoned on the plane, and the plane had to make a stop in Colorado at the Fitzsimmons Hospital, and they put her in the hospital. So she didn't make it to the wedding. But Did she come after? Yeah. No. Uh, my mother didn't get along very well with my stepmother, and I. it's a good thing maybe she didn't come. <laughs> Hellfire and brimstone. We, I think they would have had a cat fight, and I didn't want anything to ruin my wedding. But it was a really nice wedding. Yeah, but and, your mom didn't show up no. to your wedding. No. That didn't ruin it. You wouldn't no. let it. No, I didn't let it because there were so many other people. And I was uh, marrying your dad, and I was in love, and I just said, I got a new step, new career. So I didn't resent and you had it. A, and you had a new chosen family. Yeah. My chosen family because uh, Grandma Joe was there and Grandpa Eric and his sisters and brothers. And so it was, uh, I, had to, I was part of the Spires family. But I, all my friends came, you know, it, to the shower I had. But no one had any money in college, so I got like six sets of glasses. <laughs> <laughs> We had those for years. <laughs> well, Mom, yeah. it sounds like you you could be a very resentful person if you wanted to be. Am I right? I could. I could have carried that along. I, after the wedding, I didn't speak to my mom for about a year. She was upset at me, I guess because I didn't r- run off from the wedding and go see her in the hospital. Uh, so we didn't speak <clears throat> for a year. <laughs> and... uh what was that question you against? Did what was the other one you I said, just asked? It sounds like you could be a very resentful person. Like you are, you're a very um, empathetic human. Mm-hmm. And if you were listening to these stories from one of your friends, you would expect them probably to be fairly resentful in their life, uh, at least for a portion of it. You know, mm-hmm. until they got to really make their own steps. Well, and yet it doesn't seem like that happened to you. Somehow you didn't allow it to happen or it just wasn't in you. You choose. You can choose to be happy or sad and uh, resentful. If your heart's full of love, there's no time for hate. No room for hate. So that's the way I looked at it. I guess I'm a cockeyed optimist because I, I thought I've got so much love in my heart. With her not coming, I don't resent it. It, it hurt a little bit, but I thought my mom was not a very well person because back then we didn't uh, uh, know a lot about mental health. And she was a manic depressive. And uh, she loved me, but she just couldn't make the wedding. But. Hey, 
that's life. <laughs> so fill your. But you mind. still got. <laughs> yeah. You still got married, and you had a family of your own, and yes. and you still loved your mom. I still loved her. I guess you'll always love your mom, and your dad, no matter what happens, because they're a part of you. Well, and that's and, the other thing too, right? The fact that your dad was able to walk you down the aisle and give you away, and yet he. Uh, yeah, he, he, left, he, he missed out on what 10, 10 years of your life or more? Ten. I guess more. And he said, no wait. But he made it up with you guys. Twelve years. Well, I didn't count him. I just know I just wanted to see him again. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a lot like my. I was more like my dad than I was like my mom. But you know, Daddy spent time with you kids. He never got to spend time with us, but he was there for your graduations, for all the grandkids stuff. He was there for everything. I mean, that's why I I, I never, if I think about it in that way, it is rather funny and all of these stories make sense. I'm trying to, as I'm interviewing you, trying to like get it how I would feel, how I think I would feel in these situations. Mm -hmm. But I know the reality of it is when I was growing up, grandpa was there most of the time. Mm -hmm. And he was fun and he taught us things and he made things for us and he was just an awesome grandpa he was um and yet i don't ever remember you telling me that he left you i just always remember that he did leave you and that i remember asking you like oh are you okay and you're like yeah everything's fine and i love my dad and he's a great grandpa and that's that Mm-hmm. So I think I think why I'm asking these two is when you told me these stories as a kid, of course you're going to whitewash them a bit and tell me everything's okay. But it doesn't seem like your stance has changed that much as I've gotten older. You still you still see the best in him, and and you acknowledge mm-hmm. the hard times, but you're like, yeah, well he was there for you, and that's enough. That's enough, yeah. And I was proud. That you could experience having a grandfather. You know, your grandmothers died. Grandma Joe passed away, and Elsie, she passed away. And you used other substitutes for grandmas. And All the time. I was, I'm glad that he was there. And um, going to your stuff has meant so much to me. And, and he always, he, you don't know how many times he said he was sorry for leaving us. And he said, how could I do that? He just, I just couldn't live with your mom. And I... And I forgave him. And then when you forgive people, the burden is lifted up to the light. You know, I remember um, funny grandpa story. And we have lots of funny grandpa stories. He's, yeah. He was a character. Um, his last wife, um, mm-hmm. we'll have to talk about her on a whole other episode. Oh, yeah. But... They came to see me one time. They they <laughs> they they had come. To, I think to visit and see the, the little house memories. And then um, somebody passed away. Somebody I didn't know, but I was asked to play at their funeral, uh, to play the fiddle at their funeral in uh, the nearby town. And I get there and I'm getting ready to play. And I look back, and Grandpa <laughs> and she are back in the back of the funeral parlor. <laughs> And I went up and I said, hi, um, what are you doing here? And, and Maxine said, well, you know, we just like to come see you play in every chance we get. Yeah. 
Yeah. I was like, this is a funeral. Have you no decorum, woman? They didn't even know. They, they, they didn't even know the people. But anytime they had a chance, even they came up to McClurg when you used to play with all those fiddlers. They'd drive all that way just to hear you play. And I think that he felt guilty because he never got to see me do anything. And then he just put all of his love into you three. And that's, that's good enough for me. And, and then Uncle Pat, yeah. And you, well, you gave me a very good, not just me, Michael and Sean, like, what a what a gift uh, to let us know our grandpa. Yeah. He's quite a guy. He, um, he, he sure could whip out a song. <laughs> so, I guess we, we've talked a little bit about... Um, getting into trouble and we've talked a little bit about family and 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 expectations of people what do you think these have taught you and um what do you hope i can learn from from these stories these stories uh, people are human and human humans make mistakes and when we when we're born and, and we're on this path this life this journey of life you know we don't know what we're going to do with it no one tells us it gives us a book of rules <laughs> really to tell you the truth you've just got to learn by your you mistakes. make your own book of rules like you that, make your like own that poem book. yeah like that poem yeah you make your own book of rules and and you try to do what you try to do the right thing and when you see somebody uh that's hurting, that's mean to you, there's always a reason why they're like that. And and just live and let live and, and forgive them. But if they keep hurting you over and over, you know, you don't you need to take toxic people out of your life. And just look for the good ones. Like uh, Mr. Rogers says, look for the helpers. <laughs> Do we also is there also a lesson in there about learning to forgive yourself? Yes. You have to learn how to forgive yourself, otherwise you carry this burden in your heart and your soul, and it can make you sick. And I think that's a lot of people's problems. They don't want to forgive, they want to hold a grudge. And a grudge just uh, kills you inside and makes you have I, a bad attitude. I don't know how you learned this, but I've always told um, you know, Mike and Sean, my brothers, that one thing I always appreciated about you is anytime I'm upset with you, I can always tell you and you always apologize and you actually try to learn from it and do something better with it next time. And there aren't a lot of people that you can do that with in life. Most people you, well, in my experience, a lot of people you tell something, them something is wrong and you're going to get some sort of reaction that is um, extremely defensive usually. Um, and I don't think you do that. I, I like I can't really think of when you've done that. You usually just feel badly and you apologize and then you really think about it. I, well, I try to be better because I know I'm not perfect and I make lots of mistakes. And I just I, deeply I'm sorry if I've offended you know you or the boys. Uh, but I have to look at myself and say what did I do wrong. How can I make it better? It's such a great lesson, yeah. though, Mom. Thank you for that because I, never thought I of that. definitely can get defensive, and um, I just I try to keep in mind 
that you apologize and you move on. Mm-hmm. You move on. Yeah. Thank you so much for talking to me today, Mama. Well, thank you, honey. I love you. I love you, too. Have a great day. (laughs) Mm-hmm.